And good afternoon. It's 4 o'clock. Uh, thanks for tuning in to CFRC 101.9 FM. We are located here in Lower Carruthers Hall, Queen's University, Kingston, Ontario. My name is Bruce. This is Finding a Voice, spoken word program airing here every Friday afternoon from 4 to 6 o'clock. We do stream live online as well at www.cfrc.ca. Coming up on the show today in the first hour from the June 22nd Skeleton Park Art Festival's Hillside Poetry Stage, uh, you'll hear readings by Olivia Aus, Sarah Yi-Mei-Chiang, a musical interlude by Kingston Symphony violinist Julia McFarlane and Erica Sluis, and then a final reading uh, by Kingston Poet Laureate Jason Haru. In the second hour, from uh, part of the first two sessions of the first day of a three-day Poets at Art Fest 5 Poetry Festival, uh, these uh, from June 29th of this year, you'll hear readings by Jenny Marshall, Nadia Pacey, Kinman Young Tai, and Tim Murphy. This first, though, the usual hourly announcement, occasionally some poetry, spoken word, or music played on this show may contain strong language, but it's all played in its entirety with content unedited to honor the creative integrity of both the author and the piece. So to begin begin the show, we will, uh, this is going to run straight through uninterrupted, uh, just so it fits in this hour. Uh, This will run uh, and... uh, it will be the fall of the June 22nd Skeleton Park Art Festival's Hillside Poetry Stage. And in it, you'll hear readings by Olivia Aus, Sarah Yimei Chiang, and again, a musical interlude by Kingston Symphony violinist Julia McFarland and Eric Sluis. And then a final reading by Kingston Poet Laureate Jason Heru. And it will... All begin right after I tell you the one thing that's missing. I didn't get uh, Olivia's uh, bio to record. I didn't hit the record button. It's all my fault. But I knew that day I could just do it here. So I will lead in with a red in the studio interview or uh, uh, rendition of uh, the exact bio I used that day, and then it will just go straight into the show. I'm just making sure all my buttons are set up right here. It looks like we're good. So so to begin with, Olivia House is a grade 11 student at Regiopolis Notre Dame, Notre Dame uh, School uh, last year, and this year both she won first prize in her school's annual poetry contest. She also earned the Junior Visual Art Award at C-A-P-P-A, and that stands for Creative and Practical Performing Arts at uh, Regiopolis. Again, uh, or I'm sorry, apart from poetry and art, her other interests include books, photography, anime, interior design, and Broadway musicals. this idea um, like off the image that the sky is actually below the earth because we're only holding on by gravity and just a flipped image that way so here it goes midnight walk we cling to the world upside down bats clutching a stone ceiling 
Far below us, the sky yawns open, mouth full of black, black ink. Shadowy creatures watch me from the bottom of the abyss, shuddering when I meet their gaze. Their eyes gleam white with anticipation, waiting for my feet to let go. Okay, so this next poem is called Monday at the Office. Uh, my aunt print this, printed this out and put it in her office cubicle, so. <laughs> Monday at the Office. The computer has overworked itself again. It nearly died this time. It's still unconscious in the hospital, plugged into IVs. The elderly telephone gets its cord permed at the salon, gossiping about the single hole punch who eloped with the stapler. The poor tape dispenser worries for its baby. It is losing weight. The hungover printer throws up in the alleyway between the wall and the filing cabinet. Half a dozen click pens get high on mugs of caffeine. <laughs> Right. This next one is called Slow Motion Storm. Pretty self-explanatory. Slow Motion Storm. The rain hovers before drifting to the ground. Dandelion seeds scattered by a wishful wind. Lightning unfurls in trembling tendrils, planting white roots in the sky's violet soil. The thunder approaches on tiptoe. It blossoms like a drop of dye in cold water, running in a dream on stone lights. So this is my shortest poem, it's called Jurassic Highway. Tall, curved streetlights poke their gray heads above the tree line, like long-necked dinosaurs gambling single file out of the city. And these next two poems you may have read before because they were posted on the Skeleton Park Arts Festival Facebook page. Uh, the first one is called City. In the city, they put fences around trees to keep them from running away at night. The gutter holds, up, holds out its cap, begging bottle caps and cigarette butts from generous passersby. A sauntering pigeon pecks at spilled change, sewn like mismatched buttons on the sidewalk's tattered coat. Uh, this next one is called This Moment a Memory. So this moment a memory. On the way home from my house tonight, you see the, what I did in the first line. On the way home from my house tonight, I stumbled across the part of town my mother used to warn me about, where the headless dogs howl until they're fed the nickels from a ghost's lost wallet. I didn't stay long, only for a quarter's worth on the broken down payphone, only for a view of smoked up stars, for the homeless cricket to tell me last Sunday's news and everything about myself I'd forgotten. All right, so this next one is called Elevator. A full elevator will only ever be half-filled, a narrow coffin with too much headspace. We think the doors will open if we just stare long enough. Our floor is crammed with shoes, growing stiffened legs. We are dropping as if from a shelf in a vending machine, an unopened bag of potato chips, breathing the same stale air. Right, this one is called the dead fish section. The dead fish section. The dead fish in the supermarket, mouths hanging open like doors on loose hinges, frightened pink shrimp curled in the fetal position. Raw fillets, how they lounge on the beds of ice with stand-up labels for their color colorful tombstones. Live lobsters in rubber handcuffs, too many, too many in the murky tank. The barcodes like black water through tiny white bones. So out of place, out of place, a too sharp shadow in the room of softly dying light. 
And so finally, this last poem is called Illegal, which is the one that won the most recent poetry contest at my school. Illegal. They made it legal so that we could carry anything that would not kill other people. It started out just fine. We kept little stones in our pockets for self-defense, and they didn't kill anyone. We got bolder. We sold each other knives and bows and arrows and handguns. We took them on walks, to the store, to the bank, to the park, and they didn't kill anyone. You could leave a loaded machine gun on your front step for a whole day, and it would stay there like a responsible citizen, not a single shell out of place. It was the baby's fault. It was that careless killer baby who set off the poor hand grenade, and so they made it illegal to carry the babies. <laughs> That's all, thank you. There was Olivia House, let's give her another hand. Sarah E. Mei-Siang is the author of the Poetry Book, Status Update, 2013, which was nominated for the Pat Lowther Award, and Sweet Devilry, 2011, winner of the George uh, Gerald Lambert. Her work has been featured in anthologies such as Best of the Best Canadian Poetry and uh, has been long listed for the CBC Poetry Prize. She's also the edi editor of the anthology Desperately Seeking Susan's Let's bring up Sarah. Thanks, Grace. It's so hard to go after Olivia because she's so young and she's so good. Um, yeah, I can't believe it. I met her in a workshop that I did actually, and immediately I was just blown away by the stuff that she came up with. So. It's a, it's a huge honor to be reading out with her. Um, okay, so I thought I would bring totally new work just for fun. So we're going to try it and see if it's any good. Um, this first one is called Two Truths and a Lie, and it's based off that game where people have to guess which one is true and which one is a lie. So you guys get to, get to guess and figure out a little bit about me. Okay, first one. I died last year. No one has noticed yet. The bread still rises on the counter. My signature haunts the permission forms. I still do the thousands of things needed to run a household. I weave my daughter's hair with fingers of wind, and she leaves each day with the faint sense that we spoke. The words a half-remembered scent, like trying to conjure lilacs in August. My son climbs every tree in the backyard, taking their arms for mine, thinking that he can be cradled aloft in a bow and it will not break my face a cloud gently tearing itself apart. Second one. I once took a job as a minor god. Children were born in the hollows of my footprints, curled like caterpillars. I had to walk for miles, thousands of babies, springing up in forests and bogs and along the gravel paths where they spit stones with their first cries. But I was only paid to walk forwards. So time was hired to follow me like a handmaiden, gathering children, wiping their mouths with her tongue-wet thumb, singing lullabies of erasure. Even after I quit, time became my dogged assistant, trailing me everywhere, taking pay from my bones. And then the third one, to get to figure out this one is the true one. I've been a member of Weight Watchers for the past seven months. It's not helping. I'm still the embodiment of hunger. Right now, I am thinking of how I want to 
take you in my mouth. I promise you that my hunger is so complete, so sweet, you will think it is you who is eating. I want to swallow you whole, but I will also swallow my gingerbread house and the forest and the stones and the river and the sun and myself. We can live inside my hunger and never want for anything. Okay, this, um, this next one is called Math for Girls, and it's about um, walking kind of those trails in Bell Island. Off the gravel path is a trail, beaten down by feet. We have the puppy, my daughter and I, and it is noon, and the sun blazes like a safety net. Let's go exploring, she says. And I remember how when she was six, we would go into the backyard with a butter knife, a flashlight, and some cookies intrepid explorers. And so she steps onto the trail, as I do the math that all women do, that she hasn't at 13 learned yet. The careful solving for zero, calculating the odds against the needle packets we found there, the isolation of the trail, the men I've seen coming out of the woods, the whispered stories, the numbered of hairs raising on the back of my neck. She's pulling apart the curtain of weeds, calling out to me as I calculate my self-defense courses and how traumatized she'd be if I told her to run and if she'd run and how long I could hold off one and if I could hold off two and how my phone is in my pocket and if you can get to it, you need to click the power button rapidly to trigger 911 and are my location services on? Let me go first, I say, and tuck your pants into your socks to avoid ticks. In the underbrush, there's a cart tipped to its side, ribs burnt, a makeshift barbecue. It is beautiful here, the heron winnowing its way through brackish water, the smell of fish and leaves and extinguished fire. Then a quick pull, a footfall coming towards us. A young deer, now frozen as we walk slowly on earth that is charred and cold, black branches crumbling underfoot, the fawn taut with the vigilance of prey. Um, this next one was a bit of an experiment. There's a great contest that CBT runs every year where they give you 10 words that you have to incorporate into a poem in two days. So this is, this is the poem that I wrote based on it. So it's called uh, Cottage Visits. We are at our friend's cottage and all the kids run to the shore in a cluster with their Barbie and Diego fishing rods. Summer after summer, they stand at the dock and pull up tiny sunfish and pickerel fish so eager they leap out of the water to pull at the winking bait. For the first time, our son is old enough to join in, and my heart tugs at the lure, his small fist around the line. He has been ensorcelled by the magic of pulling silvery fish out of the lake. He half believes that the fish will come up begging for life, slowing wishes like scales on the wet boards of the deck. The truth is, I hate this part of the visit. I stand at the edge of the lake, shivering in my hypocrisy, dreading the minute a child pulls up a fish, the convulsing agony, the fish's puckered mouth opening and closing like a heart's valve. Once a pickerel wrapped itself, serpentine around my arm, its muscles pulsing, its grip as desperate as a woman trying to claw away hands from her throat. It left a trail of slime, soft as velour, shimmering on my skin. In the winter, when we came to the cottage, we walked on water. The fish tucked into their beds of mud beneath our feet. We played at God, thundering above them in a toboggan, shaking the foundations of their sky with our boots. 
And now we can reach into their world, and our children will hold them, gasping, learning like death how to measure life's small drippings in their palms. My son yelps in his fishing rod, London. Our host grabs the rod with him, and the lake thrashes. We watch the weave of the water as the tail flates the surface in panicked patterns. Then, with a jerk, the fish is hauled out, and the children scurry as it lands, lashing its thin tail in the skin of water that falls off its twisting body. My son watches in awe as our host picks up a small hammer and caves in the soft bones of the fish's head. The fish is handed to me. I have the hot pan over coals, the butter waiting in the cooler. I cut the head cleanly, scissor open the belly. I pull on the flesh, and the gnathic bones open with a crack. The gorge contains a middle, whole somehow. And my son, looking over my shoulder, mistakes it for a baby. It is so small and perfect and still. He takes it carefully and lays it in the water with the tenderness of a wish. Hey, um, yeah, I guess this poem is pretty self-explanatory. It's called the dreams of people who called 911 to complain after an Amber Alert. <laughs> I think we all remember that. Every dreamer had a Midas touch, their cheeks glowing on their rigid pillows, their hands clawing at their chests, trying to dig out a trapped vein. Their dreams were urgent calls to their own children, frantic phones that rang and rang in the hollows of their ghostly homes. Their dreams were balloons of blood, stretched thin as a membrane, suspended above their beds. Their dreams were the choked canaries in the dim stone of their skulls, those last few notes strangling a song they strained to hear. Their dreams were of their fathers, fish mouth gasping for air. Their dreams were a silty river that carried everything past, a nub of bone, an ivory button, a doll whose face was an echo. Their dreams were a frightened girl, the fullness of her dark eyes, and God forgive them, they looked away. Okay, this one is my last poem, um, and it's a little bit bratty because as an artist, you have to apply for grants, and for these grants, they, they ask you all these questions, you have to give kind of academic answers. So for the last grant I did, I actually answered it all in poems, so I'm probably not going to get this grant, but I was really satisfied. Um, so, the, uh, the first one, 1.6, is describe your project, explain the inspiration for your project, or why you wish to undertake it at this time. So I did, uh, I wrote three attempts for this. Attempt one, I write poetry because I like to, and sometimes the house is quiet. Attempt two, the project came to me in a dream. My hands were napalm and the world melted to his knees. And when I woke, the bed was on fire and the curtains were catching. I need to put out the fire. Attempt three. Are there any kids in here? Okay, uh, you guys can fill in the blanks. I'm gonna write the best poetry. It's gonna be beautiful. I'm gonna take this application and just grab it by the, okay. Um, so then the next section was, how will this project contribute to your artistic development and advance artistic practice? What types of artistic risks will you be taking? Are you exploring technology in an innovative way? So, attempt number one. I know a poet who dug a hole and lived in it for a whole month. I'd like to do that, but in my house and without the hole. 
attempt number two. I will be writing my poetry in blood and nanotechnology. These poems will move as your eye tries to pin them down. The harder you focus, the faster the blood writing will scurry out of the scope of your vision, like your soul. Attempt three. Dentists have the highest rate of suicides amongst professional groups. They attribute this to the act of taking teeth and giving pain. I will work with dentists to replace every tooth with a poem made of enamel so their patient's pain will sing without the tongue in the dark caves of their mouths. Attempt four, and the last one, yeah. I am exploring the biblical, the poor shall inherit the earth, and will do so from the Canada Council office. Steel and glass and a whole wall of TVs like out of the 90s movie Scrooged. I will create a timeline of when the poor will inherit the earth, and when the poets will inherit the words, and when the words will inherit the grants. And that was my application. <laughs> was Sarah Ime saying, let's uh, give her another hand. the musical portion of the performance uh, this afternoon uh, as maybe the best way to do this is uh, the violinists, two violinists, Julia McFarlane and Erica Sluice, as they make their way to the stage, I will introduce both of them. Let's give them a hand and bring them up though. Julia McFarlane, you want to raise your hand so they know who's who, yeah, <laughs> is equally at home as a performer and an educator. She has held the position of principal second violin of the Kingston Symphony since 2014, is on faculty of the Canta Aria School for Strings and National Music Camp. Julia began to study violin at age five and went on to earn performance degrees from McGill University and the Peabody Institute of Music in Baltimore. Before moving back to her hometown of Kingston, Julia was the principal second violinist of the Saskatoon Symphony Orchestra and co-director of the Baroque Chamber Orchestra, Prairie Virtuosi. Uh, Julia was concertmaster of the NYCO Symphony Orchestra for 10 years and has been a guest clinician and adjudicator at workshops and festivals across Canada. Erica Sluis, originally from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, received her, oh, I guess it would go without having to be done, wouldn't it? You wouldn't have to raise your hand this time, I guess. <laughs> uh, from uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, received her Master of Music degree in 2015 from the Eastman School of Music, where she attended as a recipient of the Jack Kent Cook Foundation's Graduate Arts Award and studied under Juliana Athade. Is that right? Yes. Cool. Uh, she stayed in Rochester for several years after completing her degree and served as the violin and viola instructor at Our Lady of Mercy School for Young Women substituted regularly for the Rochester Philharmonic Orchestra, taught lessons, uh, private lessons in both violin and piano, and was the organist and choir director at Penfield United Methodist Church in Penfield, New York, 
Prior to Eastman, uh, Erica completed her Bachelor of Music degree at Vanderbilt University in Nashville, Tennessee as a student of Caroline Kubel. Erica moved to Kingston last fall and currently serves as the assistant concertmaster of the Kingston Symphony Orchestra and as teaching artist for Sistema Kingston. Let's give a hand to, from the Kingston Symphony Orchestra, Julia McFarlane and Erica Sluice. Hi, we're really happy to be here today. I just wanted to let you know what we're going to play. So the first thing that we're going to play for you is a, a duel by uh, Mozart. Uh, and there are two movements to it. The first one is slow, it's an andante sostenuto, and the second one is quick, it's a rondo. So in case anybody doesn't know, a rondo actually means that it's a theme that keeps coming back over and over again. So you should hear the same theme over and over again, hopefully.
Um, so actually the final piece that we're going to play for you is a three movement piece. It's a piece by uh, Jean-Marie Leclerc, um, who's a Baroque composer. Uh, three relatively short movements, uh, allegro, uh, fast one, a semi-slow one, and then another fast one.
That was Julia McFarlane and Erica Sluice. Let's give them another hand. For the final poetry reading this afternoon, Jason Haru is the author of four poetry collections, Memoirs of an Alias, Emergency Hallelujah, Natural Capital, and Hard Work Cheering Up Sad Machines. His most recent books are the novel Amusement Park of Constant Sorrow with Mansfield Press in 2018, and the book of Blessings, a poetry chapbook published by Puddles of Sky Press. He is currently the Poet Laureate for the City of Kingston. Let's bring up Poet Laureate, Jason Haru. Thank you, Bruce. Uh, thank you, Julian Erica, for beautiful music. And it was so much fun reading with uh, Olivia and Sarah as well. And thank you all of you for being here on this beautiful day. Days like this really make me happy. And that's why the first poem I'm going to read is called Happiness. It's funny, I have a theory that no matter what a poem is about, it could be dark and gloomy, but if you call a poem happiness, it will always make people feel happy. So we're going to try that theory up right now. Happiness. Happiness returns without warning when I'm hanging a shirt on the line or I spy a hubcap lying in the grass. Happiness returns. Even after the shopping cart tips over, or the lantern goes out in the middle of the journey, happiness still returns. Not always when I see the morning sun, not always when I stroll across a beach, but sometimes when a chipped bird is topped up with fresh ground song. Sometimes if a dog barks in the fog, or doesn't bark at all, happiness will return. Did it work? Everyone feeling happy? Yeah. This next poem is called Leaf. When I thought I knew myself, I was wrong. And when I had no idea who I was, I was also wrong. If I say this is a new day, it isn't. And if I believe this day is done, it's not. And yet, I've never been as happy as I am, shaking like a leaf in love with the wind realizing how weak and desolate I have to be, simply to be myself, and how strong, how fortunate. This poem is called, Every New Day Finds Us. Every new day finds us. The snow-covered sidewalk wakes up and smokes a pack of footprints. City buses are drawn like moths to the bus stop's flame. The wind's freshly pressed dress shirt puts on its body. The way an infant turtle hatched in sand finds its path to the sea, every buttonhole embraces its button. Every cup of tea recites its brief prayer of steam. Um, as Poet Laureate for City of Kingston, I, I write original poems for certain civic events. Uh, this next poem is the one I wrote for the Mayor's Levy on January 1st, 2019. I woke up in my city. I woke up in my city and heard a winter sparrow singing in a tree's courtroom, like a passionate lawyer proclaiming today's innocence, today's alibi. 
We live, Your Honor, in forgetful times. The old horrors continue to horrify. Our usual injuries will injure us again. The pin repeats itself to a pop balloon. The ashes cherish the fire. Yet evidence suggests a bouquet of flowers can't tell if the occasion is for sorrow or congratulation. And the world's hidden radiance slips through us like a hand searching for its sleeve. Happiness, can you account for your whereabouts? Joy, explain the event in your own words. The morning light is sworn in as a witness. The sparrow sings on and on without end. The defense never rests. This next poem is called A Page from the Book of Bewilderment. In the end, the crumb and the ant will become best friends, and the spoon will return every sip of soup it stole from the bowl. The earthworm will meet the bird halfway. A kernel of corn will remember its boiled cob. But the walnut will never return to its shell. The hook will never get along with the fish. Even though they have nothing against each other, our mistakes and our erasers will fight to the death. This poem is called, In the Only World I Ever Lived In. In the only world I ever lived in, I learned a horse's skeleton has one less bone than a human skeleton, and an ounce of pain on earth weighs the same as an ounce of earth. I saw someone's chimney smoke rise like the gray spirit of a dead shoelace. Some of what I did I wanted to do. Some of what I said I meant. My own beaten heart knew happiness like the back of its hand. But what I truly miss most is seeing the crowded city buses drifting like clouds, carrying human rain, human snow. Uh, as Bruce mentioned, one of my recent publications is a chapbook called The Book of Blessings, that published by Kingston Press called Puddles of Sky Press, owned and operated by Michael Castile. He did a really interesting job with the book. I'll just show you what it looks like. A single page of paper that's folded up into different pages. It's like an accordion, and it comes in a little pouch, just like a kangaroo. Uh, I'll read a few of these to you guys. The Book of Blessings. Bless the one who carries a bag of fresh raindrops feeding the puddles. Bless the onion skin lying awake in the garbage bag without its onion. Bless the stones without customer service skills that end up fired from the world. Bless the soft kitten paws of summer traffic playing with the road's black string. Bless all the breadcrumbs afraid of brooms that still march in the breadcrumb parade. Bless the broken sunset unraveling like a golden cassette in the horizon's tape deck. A few of those, a few more. It's a very small little book, very interesting one. Tomorrow afternoon, 2 o'clock here at Hillside Stage, I'll be doing a writing workshop that will focus on a poetic form called prose poems. We're going to learn about prose poems, talk about them, read a few, and we're going to write a few as well. Because of that prose poetry workshop, I think I'll read some prose poems that I've written over the years. 
This first one is from my book, Memoirs of an Alias. It's called The Spoon. He picked up the spoon. What are you doing, the spoon asked. I'm about to eat lunch, he said. But I'll drown if you put me into the soup. You won't drown, he said. You're a spoon. I'll drown, the spoon said. He put the spoon in the soup and held it there for a long time. The handle twitched. Little bubbles appeared on the surface of the soup. He was afraid to lift the spoon up, afraid to put it inside his mouth. The soup grew colder and colder. The next prose poem is from my second book, Emergency Hallelujah. It's called The Dog Woke Up. The dog woke up and stretched his legs. But I'm not a dog, the dog said. I'm a human being. The dog took a shower, ate some breakfast, and drove to work. Please stop calling me a dog, the dog said. You're giving people the wrong impression. It's not fair. After work, the dog drove home, watched some television, and then prepared dinner. Listen, whoever you are, for the last time, I'm not a dog, the dog said, and looked a little sad. The dog started to cry. But I'm not even crying. This is ridiculous, the dog said, with tears in his eyes. The third one is from my book, Natural Capital. It's called The Watermelon. My wife walked into the kitchen and saw me wiping blood off the table. What happened, she asked. The watermelon started bleeding when I cut it into pieces, I said. Watermelons don't just start bleeding. You must have done something wrong, she said. I didn't do anything wrong. It just started screaming and bleeding as soon as I cut it. Well, maybe it wasn't the watermelon, she said. I found it in the watermelon section, I explained. Did it look like a watermelon? Not really, I said. It had eyes. It kept watching me. So then why did you cut it into pieces, she asked. Because it was in the watermelon section, I said. <laughs> a few more. Uh, the next prose poem is from my fourth book, Hard Work, Cheering Up Sad Machines. It's an untitled prose poem. I was in a foreign country and couldn't speak the language. I entered the currency exchange office and exchanged three mice for a shoelace and then exchanged the shoelace for a paperclip, and the paperclip for an autumn leaf, and the autumn leaf for nothing. I left the office and realized I was back in my hometown. I visited my mother and father. The three of us sat quietly at the kitchen table. An awkward silence filled the room. I still couldn't speak the language. The last prose poem, and the last poem I'll read today, is a new piece that hasn't appeared in any books yet. Uh, it's called Last Night. Last night, a deep-fried chicken wing dreamt it was still alive and cried. Life soldiers on. On the bus, I overheard someone say, even dead leaves look and sound leaf-like if there's enough wind. Birds are buckets of song raised from a well. The moon is a bucket of light. Pet speck of dust, where's your leash? Let's go for a walk. Thank you, everyone. Kingston Poet Laureate Jason Haru, let's give him another hand. And how about another hand for all the performers today? Olivia, Sarah, Jason, Julia, and Erica.
really, we had a really nice crowd, and uh, this is really nice. So heartfelt thanks to each of you for coming out. I would also like to thank the sound uh, guys, uh, uh, Tom and Dylan, and uh, Sue Ann for the artwork behind us. Uh, also, uh, Kingston Writers Fest for co-presenting this event, and uh, Novel Idea Bookstore for sponsoring the event. And she's back there. A uh, number, of, two of the authors at least have uh, have work on the table back there. So if you like what you heard, check it out. Again, heartfelt thanks for all of you coming out. Have a great rest of the Kingston or Scotland Park Arts Festival. <laughs> And you did just hear, uh, in its entirety, uninterrupted, the full of the uh, June 22nd Skeleton Park uh, Arts Fest, uh, Festival's Hillside Poetry Stage, again with readings by Olivia Aus, uh, Sarah Yimei Chiang, a musical interlude by Kingston Symphony violinist Julia McFarlane and Erica Sluice, and a final reading by Kingston Poet Laureate Jason Hero. Uh, you are listening to Finding a Voice here on CFRC 101.9 FM. Uh, it's getting very close to the second hour, uh, so I do want to say one thing I try to include in each hour of the show each week is that uh, all of these shows, all of Finding a Voice shows, are saved uh, to my blog space for it uh, shortly after I get home. will remain there approximately four years at Finding a Voice on cfrcfm.wordpress.com. And I do need to kind of, uh, I, I should really say thank you for tuning in to the first hour today. Uh, you caught all of this uh, arts festivals poetry uh, uh, event. Uh, we're going to start another Art Fest uh, poetry event in the second hour and four readings from it. But I'll tell you what, I probably should... Do this now, and I'll catch you right on the other side. Friday evenings at 6 p.m. here on CFRC, listen to Saltwater Music, a show covering all musical genres from the East Coast of Canada. Celtic, of course, but also rock, jazz, blues, folk, and a lot more. I'm your host, Rob Carnell. Tune in to Saltwater Music Friday evening from 6 to 8 here on CFRC 101.9 FM. Or you can catch us on the web at www.cfrc.ca. And for our listeners out east, that's 7 p.m. Atlantic and 7.30 Newfoundland. I'm David Suzuki. The average lunch or dinner travels 2,400 kilometers to get to your table. Eating local means combating global warming. The future is on your table. Eat your way to a healthier planet. Find out how at davidsuzuki.org. Ladies and gentlemen, we interrupt our program of dance music to bring you a special bulletin from the Intercontinental Radio sit, News. Sit back, relax, listen to some hip-hop with the premium plus. Friday. Stop rocking till it's time to go. It's the DJ professional rocking the show. The fantastic dollar bill every Friday night. 9 p.m. Sit back, relax, listen to some hip hop on the premium plus show. Friday night, sweater on the ground. Hip hop. Remember the party time starts at nine and doesn't end until ten. I'll be there.
I'm David Suzuki. Catch the bus. Just one bus means 40 fewer vehicles on the road and nine tons of pollution out of the air. Not bad for a couple of bucks. The future is in your hands. Get around smarter at davidsuzuki.org. And it is 5.02. You are listening to Finding a Voice here on CFRC 101.9 FM. We are located here in Lower Carruthers Hall, Queen's University, Kingston, Ontario. My name is Bruce, here every Friday afternoon from 4 to 6 o'clock. We do stream live online at www.cfrc.ca. In the second hour, and uh, we're going to move into another event uh, from part of the first two sessions of the first day of a three-day Poets at Art Fest 5 Poetry Festival. Uh, this one held on June 29th. You'll hear readings by Jenny Marshall, Nadia Pacey, Kinman Young Tai, and Tim Murphy. This first, though, just the usual hourly announcement uh, that occasionally some poetry, spoken word, or music played on this show may contain strong language, but it's all played in its entirety with content unedited to honor the creative integrity of both the author and the piece. So, up first, from part of the first, again, two sessions of the first day of uh, three-day Poets at Art Fest 5 Poetry Festival, this one on Saturday, June 29th, from it, here is Jenny Marshall. Up next, Jenny Marshall is a lifelong poet and songwriter. Her poetry resonates with the range of emotions experienced on our individual journeys. Jenny invites us to safely connect with our inner emotions so that we may reflect and explore authentically. Let's bring up Jenny Marshall. Thanks, Barbara, for sharing. I always love your work. It's just beautiful. So we've had a few changes this month. One of them being that we've just moved into a new house. So anyone that's done that can probably understand why the odd Advil comes in handy. <laughs> um, and the backdrop to this is that for the last four years previous, we've lived, Dave and I have lived with our daughter Susanna and, and our grandbaby uh, Noah. He grew up in that house and now the interesting part is that the new house is a new stage for my daughter in that this house, we're living together separately, shall we say. There's a, an apartment for her, her own front door, her own door, her own privacy, yet she still can come up whenever she wants. So it's a nice transition for her. So this uh, poem is called Moving to Fly Home. Change is upon us. Carefully culling, I unearth some priceless treasure overflowing with memories. The first photo found features my newly grown up girl delightfully displaying her cute baby bump. This precious bump flourished in this house to become a gift named Noah. Four fleeting years, now moving time, bittersweet transition, anticipation of memories to be made. Our new home is peaceful. Pink geraniums dance on the deck. We are within a wooded wonderland. 
serene sense, lilting chirps, a slice of heaven in a cul-de-sac. An apartment dwells in this family home, our favorite four-year-old, a sweet subset of family foundation. Soar, my daughter, live all your dreams, and remember, you are moving to fly home. And the same little girl, I think of her as a little girl, but she really isn't, has graduated from nursing school. She did that this month, so another new for her, and she's just finishing up her last set of rounds, and then uh, another wonderful nurse will be unleashed. So this is a poem I wrote at her graduation. I search for you amidst a sea of euphoric faces. Daughter, you have traveled rocky roads with quicksand turns, triumphant in the now. A while it took to find yourself, but yourself was worth finding. Information, confirmation, actualization, now graduation. Now this next poem is very near and dear to my heart because um, one of my children had a lot of um, time in the hospital and there's kind of some earth angels that work the hospital in the children's wing and I don't know if anybody knows about them but the, the child life program and these volunteers will come in and especially there's a lot of exhausted mothers and fathers and they'll come and do some play therapy and you can kind of just sit in the corner like this for a minute with no responsibility so this is a poem in tribute of this incredible organization which by the way is in danger of closing so any uh, positive feedback you can give the hospital on the importance of this program would be appreciated. It's called Volunteer. I look at her through anxious eyes, the seriousness of the situation sinking in. Circling the room is a peaceful presence, connecting and caring warming and otherwise sterile space. She's a volunteer in the children's wing, sharing the parental load. Do you color? Here's a sticker. I like your, I like your wristband. It matches your slippers. Play therapy. A soothing solution. Sick children, being children, with childlike acceptance of current circumstances. Temporarily, my only job is trying to relax. No moving, no talking, just a prayer of thanks for this angel, for this volunteer. Now I'm about to share my process with you when I get stuck. And this happens more often than I want it to, but times when I just get myself into a, a situation where my thinking turns negative and I need some way of getting out of this and quickly. So I'm gonna show you my process. Sometimes I am housed within a blurry body 
My murky mind slogs through quicksand, eclipsing my perspective. Everything sucks. Lethargy looms large. I squelch the urge to slumber through a sunny afternoon. Get up, I order. Get out, I command. Join the world. Be the solution to your own problem. That's my mother talking, I have to tell you. Skulking into the Elm Cafe, purple pen in hand, I begin to write. I begin to release. Anything goes. My script is uncensored. No one will read it because I will extinguish its evidence. I vent. I curse. I wail <coughs> and gnash my teeth. Anger, frustration, regret, sadness, even fear unleash onto an unsuspecting page. I scrawl unreasonable analogies. I use judgy jargon. I am officially out of control. When my process draws to a close, my perspective unclogs. Time for step two. Gratitude. I remain silent. I remain still, listening for wisdom. My pen is on fire. Reasons to be grateful spill out of my soul. My fogginess dissipates. I resist the urge to dance in public. My spark, my life force, my joie de vivre team up to whisper, welcome back. Now this poem is part of the, Bruce, you'll have to give me the title, Inspired Hearts. Yeah, it's from, and a lot of us had the privilege of being in that book, and it's pretty cool. Lovely lady who uh, we work with called Melinda Cochran, and of course Bruce was the editor. So this is one of, this is my contribution to the teens. The human condition crops up like a crapshoot. A kajillion genes rolling around, revealing our numbers. She is unfettered. He is deeply mired. The rest of us, degrees along the continuum. Are we really, sorry, are we merely victims of predetermination? I think not. Take control. Learn to steer. Find your tribe. Live. Learn. Love. Peace to you, my brother. Peace to you, my sister. It is time to create your own human condition. This next poem is kind of, well, our Dr. Seuss. Ring any bells, Dr. Seuss? And how we used to read that to our kids because it had great phonemic, phonemic awareness. So that's in this style. And then I threw a little uh, rap in just for fun. <laughs> so it's called Live Your Life. What makes you get out of bed? What pops your eyes? Helps you arise? How does living sparkle your soul? Alive, amazed, and feeling whole. Compose your list and check it twice. How are you not? What makes you nice? Make the connection. Opt from the selection. You have the direction. It's not an election. Stay really young by having fun. 
do your thing with zany zing. Old, this is the important part for me, old is just a state of mind unless you let yourself unwind. Time is so fleeting, so keep your heart beating and love and laugh and live your life. And my last poem is about my favorite character on Princess Street. I love this guy. He has the most amazing face. His face is so amazing that a couple of years ago, a photographer took a picture of him and featured him, big picture in his photo gallery. So it was kind of cool. And my friend on the street laughs because he's hoping he'll get some commission from the photos. So, the man of the street. The man of the street sports bright blue eyes housed in a furrowed face. The man of the street leans on a wall, smoking a stogie with casual grace. The man of the street extends his hat. Wealth distribution is where he's at. The man of the street twinkles his eyes. I twinkle back. We're saying goodbye. Where does he go? Where does he stay? The man on the street is drifting away. Thank you. Jenny Marshall, let's give her another hand. And you just heard a reading by Ginny Marshall in the first session of the first day of the three-day Poets at Art Fest 5 Poetry Festival. And that was held on uh, that day on June 29th, the first day. Up next in that and in that same session, here is Nadia Pacey. Nadia Pacey is an artist who resides in Kingston, Ontario. Her poems are largely about the nature of process, time, love, and the everyday moment. She's been writing poetry for a long time, but only recently started printing it off for others to mull over. She's working on a chapbook called The Worm's Life, still in progress, but which is available for sale in its current state. Let's bring her up, Nadia Pacey. So I wasn't, um, yeah, I wasn't able to prepare my book for today, but I'll have it prepared for tomorrow. Um, and this is my book. So it's called, yeah, A Worm's Life, or A Worm's Life. Coiled in repose, she says. Question comes to mind. Bum and chair, easy as a spoken blink. I sit in retrograde. Back I move a step as vomit after drink, red come after pink, light as soft as infant skin. Atop the stairs I think of you, answer and an end. Is the store closed? Is it raining outside? Do I really need a napkin, cardboard sleeved paper cup? If I had known of sleeves before they came to print, would I be a rich man drinking straight Rittenhouse rye, leaning on a golden flatbed pickup truck, to compliment my scarlet tie. How long will it take to consider the truth of all the stuff? Much stuff as there is. Much business to pursue. And for I, every lively, warm hello, 
times a million bid adieu. I love you so much. When you're gone, I miss you. I did when I went outside for a smoke while you were still here. Equidistant from the point, on treadmills about faced promised land. And if tired, here we are brought back to before antiquity, all things illusory in the worm's life. Needn't the heart beat out of breast from sick mistrust like Spanish flu, if the consciousness greatest success is a life that sees both its means and ends in love. If love was all there was, and you'd never understand it, if it was hidden everywhere and it was everywhere you looked, if the only choice you ever had was acquiescence, and every time you chose to love, no matter what you did or said, you knew you would lose your closest friend in some time or place or bed. Then would you choose the worm's life at bottom of an ocean trench, ignorant in a stationary tube next to a hydrothermal vent? But the human heart makes a noise so sweet, so savory and salted, no other taste can muster courage from the tongue. That courage is immortal now that I have tasted you. Even if that one thing I do best is sleep toward another dream, closer to a low vibration than to a human being, if I wake to empty space where once you laid your weight, no matter, ad infinitum a priori, you, first light, last place. I dreamt I was your singing bird that flew atop and off your shoulder. When I feel I am tinnitus in your ear, need reminder of the truth. Pinch me. I am more substance than the pain of a constant ring. The day you ask to marry me, I'll wear my wedding band. When I give me to you, I'll take it off for a moment and put it on again. If the morning is beautiful, sunny and warm, the evening won't always be the same and vice versa. If I eat in the morning, full and satisfied, I won't always do the same in the evening, and vice versa. If one day I can word what I feel so you will hear me and you take what I say so that you understand my silence and recognize my walk from a mile down the road, then the same will occur to me for you. Kneel at the bedside. I swaddle myself in blankets, expecting a change in weather and having faith that one day I will happen to be dressed right for the occasion. He puts my face in his hands and tells me, you will have a good life. And I believe you. I have a good life, I say. I am devoted. That's the end. Nadia Pacey, let's give her another hand. And you just heard a reading by Nadia Pacey in the first session of the first day of the three-day Poets at Art Fest 5 
Poetry Festival, and this one, this day was June 29th. Up next, in that same session, here is Kinman Young Tai. Up next, Kinman lives in Kingston, Ontario. He was born in Trinidad and Tobago and uh, studied in Kingston, Jamaica, where he spent more time in the library than his studies, which are with expected results. In a sentence, he says he writes 14 lines like his ancestors did each day to inform who he is and where he is with his past and present. Let's bring up Kin Man. Yes, uh, conveniently, conveniently missed in that introduction is my last name, Yong Tai, which with a decrease of teeth and bite, more wrinkles, kind of hard to live up to. So, um, what I've done with myself is I uh, assume a name that Robert Frost dropped when he was in Maine, raising foul and trying to write poetry. His students as a joke call him the poultry man. And um, he didn't like it. He did get his book published and he dropped that. So I'm quite happy being the poultry man now. <laughs> and my dear lady there happened, unfortunately, to be the poultry woman <laughs> who has to uh, shift to my daily ramblings to pick up what you think might be okay for the occasion. So here goes. Uh, this first one is a little long in sonnet's form. There's a time when I just think a sonnet was 14 lines and that's it. I think later on I've started working with um, three lines of 36 syllables, counting them, developing craft, as you say. So this is a wild and loose one which has been reformed. As usual, my poems start with the poultry man telling me what to do. God knows why. The poultry man sets out for a trip to Toronto. He leaves the rest of the Devon drum cheese for his wife. With his cheese sandwich and coffee, he plans out a revised schedule. So I scratch out a piece. Started sometime May 2013, before the poultry man even exists. The time lost, even in a yawn, has my living beyond thoughts and intentions. My body, as naturally as a tree, breathes and exhales the infinite with clay. These red streetlights are not in Elliot's London, but with the drama of green emerging. If I assume his lines with Ezra's, my friends buried and living will think me a fake. They frame much without my details of green. Theirs done within April with lilacs to grieve. Like Auden's, as quoted, as noted by Rouse, without the intimacy of a kinder and natural world. Too much is a hint about who was at whom. The bedroom cut up like a Dali's fantasy, remaining in mind a words in a dialect that tell me there's too much posturing. Michelangelo under the ceiling, mindless of Christ with his cross and feet in a trail of dust. I embrace a dervish turn with Rumi, dutifully each morning to find again the infinite, that face, this second against a pillar, moving as I in a walk and he in a spin. 
My box of caramel fill remains untouched beneath the cup of cupcakes I was given. I finish now in the day's light, grateful for a turn again with a growing mystery. The red brick wall frames the ash tree and maps the life of the oak behind the spruce. Uh, this is one that escaped the poetry man long before I assume it. It's about Easter and about that tragedy. Well, some people view it, or let's say incident in France. Even, and it was around Easter, even with the moon deep in clouds, the birds are ecstatic. In rain forecasted at 100 millimeters, attended by warnings of flood up north. The snow finally to melt and nothing to be decided south, increasing my reluctance to hear any more of the rich and powerful now exposed. The spire of Notre Dame collapsed, but its, road, but its cross stood proud as it did, sky high in Constantine's victory. The fact, gold to melt needs a greater heat. Where once I lived, down Oliveri Drive, across Dog Patch, onto Pinal Junction, Clark Road, and then the church, the Station of the Cross was enacted. In a sight for the others, in a crowd to Golgotha, I find not only home, but a Catholic state of mind. Okay, this is all poetry, man, so you're gonna have to bear with him. Yeah, no wonder Robert dropped him like hot coals. Uh, they are, I understand, dark clouds and thunder, and with them, most times, rain. So I should expect a drenching as Socrates, the bowl of water from their wife, Zenobia. No, poetry man does not have that luxury. The birds in a conference, and he in a soliloquy. Oh well, with words and abnegation of self, I, come, I go. It should have been after the traffic, the cake and feeding. It clearly was not with a dark cloud deep in me, maybe a cast off from the years so spent. Mortality is indeed damn dreadful at times for me, needing to tell myself how I did otherwise, the foul only in agreement when they feed. As Lowell wrote, what good is immortality to one dead? So I will go shuffling back to the bins of grains, walking along foul with chuckles and cackles. The effort, not the win. The means, not the end, is my prayer. As I once again move from dream to dream to light. The butterfly casing, as good as skin. Good for the eyes, the remorse drawing water from inside. I made a choice, so I guess it's my role to stay happy. May the night. And again, that damn man-child from the US. Well, I can't really say that how I should say it, pot OF. That's our guy, Potos. Oh, he gets into my life every so often when I wouldn't want it. So, Poto F is a poultry man's reaction to news early on most days before he works a turn with the fowl. I see them, the leghorn, the clean neck, the speckle and straight red, tucking and picking away at what I toss. Given no more than beaks and claws, they decide the working and living order no guns or dogs to help fend off the predators. I shout out my blasphemies more often than not, so I scratch with the rest. Heroes and geniuses are the dream of the young asleep. 
Horatio or Roland fighting off an army, Einstein in that cloud of air thanking God, suffering, disease, old age, and death are our living lot, which, which Siddhartha accepted and fought with each day, with compassion, his and all the others. It is a fight to the end with near invisible games, a smoke drawing upward aspects of a meal, a fire burning with memories of life. In a breath, a will, in a walk, a song with sky and earth. What indeed are those honored compared to the rest with the acts of the days that are theirs? So I move past the headlines to a seedling to pull out, my shadow on the green for a while before I move on. And for relief, I often go to YouTube. Oh, Miyazaki, that group, Japanese with the music. There's a particular one, wife doesn't care for me to watch too much. A really lovely girl from the back, astride a bicycle, looking at a train and mountain. But she knows me, I'm lost. <laughs> um, made the temple. A weekend to rest draws near. So poetry man needs to scratch away at his books to find where his tools, his hat, and a record of other times. Kids all grown up and none with a zeal for the poetry business. Wife sighs relief, and I hearken back to Miyazaki as once with Disney. So read on with a caution. Don't let your kids mess long in coops. So there she is, in a frame before a train and a mountain. Astride a bicycle, feet at ease, waiting, two hands on the handle, eyes on the rails. In Pater Pancelli, Devi and Apu in a chase. Maybe north by northwest, the Orient Express. Would Basho have love, that swiftness of green? Time was for the poet and lover to hold and slow down. Ever in solitude, sometimes in mind entwined. Two in a climb, obvious and better. So we accept the narrative. Totoro and Alice, rabbit checking watch, animals in Aesop. We like kids in the magic of fiction. In gathering of sky, earth and fragments, ghosts and living, smoke or mist, twigs and leaves transform as we watch ourselves fly. Yeah, it's kind of rest the man a bit, except that this was whole more than a coop can be such a humbug, humbling of the poetry man, starting with those dirty books he owns. So let's get on with the sonnet. Uh, there's one guy here that my song strange here. He's a guy called Lihi, a poet in the time of Li Bao, Tufu. He's a strange guy. He was very rich and um, very gifted, obviously. Every morning he would set up on his horse, Sylvan following him, and he would just, as a Chinese, brush a few lines straight away, and his horse, Sylvan, would go and collect it. In time, um, his servant think that the prince was worth some of his trouble, collected them, and to our credit, we have some poems of Li Pi. Li, quite interesting poet. <coughs> and he's kind of put the whole question, what is craft? You know, when you could ride a horse and have a silver follow you to pick up your craft, <coughs> or whatever it is. <laughs> Anyhow, here goes it. The question of craft carries a superstition as most. Tricks of the trade that will lose your business and with disclosure, a poem or story. I was told when young, how I start is the most critical. Lihi, sorry. 
I was told when young how I start is the more critical. The rest is a walk in tongue or along a course. Lee he no more than what his horse gained him on a canter with his servant gathering what he wrote. That only he alone could that early morning, like the soldier once farmer, the diaries. Sacredness is no more than a fire under a pot, the smoke and steam issuing from both, the substance of what was, is, and will be consumed soon. <coughs> I am caught here with nothing more than writing about writing, may as well be Sunday, but it is not, and so I depart. Uh, yeah, you're going to have to spare me these times I lost with books. Uh, this one is about a poet who actually is behind Rumi. I was so amazed to read that Rumi actually hated poetry. <laughs> now, that really stunned me, that this guy who's so famous and read in America hated poetry. He said the only reason why I use poetry is because Persians, for some stupid reason, like to converse with poetry. You know, so um, he came upon Atta. Uh, there was another guy, oh my gosh, Sam Shadeen. But Atta wrote a book called Conference of Birds, which kind of reminded me of Chaucer, Parliament of Fowls. And what Atta did, he's a Sufist. And uh, in the book, he sort of put God in various situations, you know, like a lump of shit, like an eagle. And he kind of, you know, but basically what he was looking at was annihilation of his soul and God. And Rumi was so seized by that. I think when Sham got hold of him, he couldn't stop writing poetry. So we have his Matnavi with some 23,000 quatrains. And uh, God, and this is from a man who hated poetry. So here goes. <laughs> um, oh, yes, one last thing. Persians are very long-winded about their beginning and ending. The book, Conference of Bird, has a, pref, pref, a prelude which is about 25 pages. And a conclusion of about 25 pages with 100 pages of poetry between. And I, being a mortal, had to skip those. And the poem is basically along those lines. Skipping the prelude, I find myself in a pilgrimage. The hopeful bird proposed in a quest. Oh. Yes. Just one little last note, though. The hopeful bird is a very cute bird, a yellow red bird with a Beat like that, and the Persians swear that on his name is written the marking God Talks. And uh, Atar used this hope of bird as a kind of mesh, as how Chaucer used himself in the, in the Canterbury Tales, lead things on. So, skipping the prelude, uh, I find myself in a pilgrimage. The hope of bird proposing a quest for a king, as later those from an inn by Chaucer, with Atar. Each bird airs an excuse to not go now, and Hopo each time resolves doubt with a tale, with gods and rules to put face back in place. Allegories race through my mind, as a lion, a lamb, knights and giants against one asked by a lady to prove love of some sort in a mortal combat. Intelligent speech in a Babel reconstructed, each race and nation fleshed out in fiction their fears strong and frightsome, that in the end, defeated. It is a labor loud with echoes true to the common, spoon against pot, knife against fork, a poet within God. Um, yeah, I think I'm getting a little... Okay, there's just two more that's current. Let me see. Okay.
Yeah, trust me to go to Toronto and be locked up in traffic with the Pride Parade that went on from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. Those guys definitely got a good suntan. So I scratch out this lateness. Humans prefer to use cage than denied, pent up than dull. When in the street, only a strip hides naked from the crowd with children mostly shielded. In mine, the movie Sodom and Gomorrah denied me then at 16, five years too young to watch at such. Though Lot offered daughters to save the angels. In Sparta, streets of India, the playhouses of Japan and China. In films, Fellini's Satyricon and Roma. In his own words, Caesar, when he was Julius. Like minds, like minds, an old needing to master one young as they once. With that accepted, children now doubts what is plain, who is male, who is female, if in their mind loves tell them otherwise. Love so dressed up is like beauty and youth, destined to fade, while bees and flowers pollinate and we with eagles fly. And this is the last. Very current. Uh, yeah. This is about my impatience, which I still not the curb. That's my reason for keeping to 14 lines. Otherwise, I'll never end. So this one is intriguing because I normally wake up and watch at the ceiling. But this morning, the poetry man watches a strip of red light on a dark ceiling. So he stays in bed till he finds the nightlight behind him between the wall and bed. So I scratch out some origins. Maybe it's the wren's advantage to be singing now. The moon sliding across the tops of two maples, and I with a cup of coffee outside. To prove me wrong, Lena without spectacles, Judith thin, she a bit ignorant, the other a sailor, one chasing a mate, the other a wind. What I write, what I think, is like the dawn, dark to start with. The blue windows in the trees, the lamps low and high, a note about where I am with things living ever so subtly to be discovered with numbers sometimes, I'm driven through my schooling to understand that I lack the bird's will and dawn's patience. The moon now climbs out of the thickest part of the maple. The streetlight burns like a star a bit too close to the ground. In man, young Ty, let's give him another hand. And the four of them, Barbara, Jenny, Nadia, that's you're all in a line there, that's too cool. And Kin Man, let's give them all another hand. And you just heard uh, Kin Man, young Ty, in his... Uh, reading in the first session of the first day, which was June 29th of the three-day poets at Art Fest 5 Poetry Festival. And uh, tell you what, I think uh, we'll do this, and I'll be right back. Folk Everything, every Saturday morning from 10 till noon on CFRC. Traditional folk, modern folk, future folk, and strange deviations from the norm. 
Hear the legacy of folk music and discover new favorites and forgotten classics on Folk Everything. Join me every Saturday morning at 10 for a romp through folk culture here on CFRC. Says Red Mullet to James, that's a fine motorbike. I mean, if there's a listener-supported radio station, it means that people can get daily, every day, a different way of looking at the world, not just what the corporate media want you to see, but a different picture, a different understanding, a different picture, a different understanding. Not only can you hear it, but you can participate in it. You can add your own thoughts, you know, and you can learn something and so on. Well, that's the way, uh, well, that's the way, uh, well, that's the way uh, people become uh, human, you know. That's the way you become human participants in a, in a social and political system. Do you like to dance? Tune into The Hustle with DJ Bolt every Friday night between 11 p.m. and midnight. Where you'll hear all the newest dance, electronic, French touch, booty bass, ghetto, deep, and tech house remixes and more. Let The Hustle take you to midnight and beyond at 11 p.m. on 4 to the Floor Fridays. Only on CFRC 101.9 FM. Since 1922, CFRC Radio has been the campus and community radio station for Queens and Kingston, Ontario. CFRC is both listener-supported and listener-created radio, bringing both music and spoken word content to our community on 101.9 FM and around the world on cfrc.ca. Support locally created media. Learn more at cfrc.ca. And you are listening to Finding a Voice here on CFRC 101.9 FM. We are located in Lower Carruthers Hall, Queen's University, Kingston, Ontario. My name is Bruce here every Friday afternoon from 4 to 6 o'clock. We do stream live online as well at www.cfrc.ca. And coming up, we're going to go back uh, to that uh, first day of the three-day poetry festival. But what you're going to hear is the first person in the second session that day on June 29th of that uh, first day of the three-day Poets at Art Fest 5 Poetry Festival. Let's go ahead and bring up Tim Murphy. Up first, Tim Murphy has been writing poetry and prose as far back as he can remember and has been published by Trade, Hidden Brook Press, and uh, Polar Expressions as well as various zines around the world, including his own. He has been focusing of late on a linked detective story series, the main mystery of which is when he might finish. It has been four years so far. He still thinks it odd to write himself in the third person, but is getting accustomed to it by this point in Artfest history. Let's bring up Tim Murphy. Mind that whole bit about the fifth year and the second session, it's almost, almost mystical somehow. But anyway, these are all fairly new poems, which is rare for me. I haven't written a lot of poetry lately, but my muse has been torturing me as I get older. A lot of people say they can't, when they get older, they have a hard time writing, and I just can't seem to stop. That's why I haven't finished the book, because each time it gives me another story to write when I think I'm done. But 
Anyway, this first poem is called Dynamic Tension. It's about family. He drives at a furious pace when the slightest thing upsets him. His family cowers in back. From what does he want to escape? She drinks to drain the northern sea when the slightest thing goes awry. And through her blurred binoculars, thought and memory cause sadly. He eats beyond satiation as padding for the verbal blows until his ears are cotton battened from even kindness sent his way. She married and dated her dad more than once, more than twice, no more. She found the exit one fine day. Hold the lamp for us, sister nurse. This next was a little more lighthearted. It was inspired by the death of Chuck Berry, which doesn't sound lighthearted, but. <laughs> and uh, the fact that the Voyager spacecraft, which was launched in 1977, which has a gold record on a literal gold record, the only rock song for the sounds of Earth is Johnny Be Good by Chuck Berry. So, this is called, well, I don't have a title, but let's call it Chuck Berry. Chuck Berry's sound reached the space between the stars long before his spirit did, if it did. And though the aliens have not yet called for more of it, they may by now have laid that record and be playing it non-stop on Radio 51, having sent the original on out to their friends. Adios, earthly spaceship. It goes to show you never can tell. And now a, song, a poem about a considerably less pleasant individual, a, our latest Canadian serial killer, such an illustrious list, with all those lovely Facebook and vacation snapshots of him, whereas when they published the victim's faces, even though in one case there are other pictures, they picked a, a snapshot from an arrest for him as well. But no, Mr. MacArthur got all those lovely, lovely shots. So you may guess it's not a particularly pleasant poem. It's called MacArthur of Bruce. You look so noble in your official portraits, like Liz Number One or Kathy de Medici. Your filth-eating smile calls out for attention to be ground into powder so you cannot bite. The news of your beating has reached us at speed much faster than reports of your malfeasance. Robes of purple bruises wrapped around you by Her Majesty's guests in tribute to your acts. A makeup of gauntness and pallor suits you. Sin kicks in your skin and exhumes your rotting bones. I hold my breath. We hold our breath. All breath held. In hopes you hold yours, like those you denied their breath. And continuing on the death theme, 
this next poem was about my dog, Maggie, who will have been gone five years, July 12th, among other things. It's called Never Been an Alpha. Never been an alpha. Hunted at the supermarket. As you knew, and still ate with a certain fond contempt. Never been an alpha. Never one folks would follow. Although you did, with a wink, spits and wriggles, so to speak. Never been an alpha. You waited for the belly turn, and you planned to climb up some night and nip at my throat. Never been an alpha. Even when your sickness clanged cymbals loud in your court, proclaiming the lion dog dead. She was a Leo. And now I am beta, and I howl at the darkened moon, and all the power now cannot relight your eyes. This next one was inspired by, well, the title is inspired by Return to Sender by Elvis Presley, but everybody who read it was saying, like, William Blake or Emily Dickinson. I thought it was kind of a funny poem myself, but everyone else thought it was seen like the poison tree by William Blake. Tried to dig that out and look up the, the Poison Tree by William Blake. I have read it. So I can't claim I had no knowledge of the poem. It is kind of like that, but I meant it to be funny anyway. So it's called No Such Redress. Happiness came to my door today. I hid in the dark till it went away. Love arrived in a silver-wrapped box. I refused delivery. Turned the locks. Letters piled up, such urgent pleas. I glanced and I scoffed and I threw out these. Soon the porch was pristine, save for dust. Nothing stirred around me, not even lust. Then one day I wondered, why no word? But there was no one left who could have heard. And this is a vengeful kind of poem of, for my first year university English professor who I quite liked him actually until one day he said I was weird. And I realized that unlike most people who said that to me, he didn't mean it as a compliment. So now, 33 years later, this is the result. It's called Ode to an English Teacher. So I guess those who insist that I have a reference for everything, it's I guess you could say it's Ode to a a uh, gym teacher by Meg Christian. I do have that record. So maybe that's where I got it from. I don't know. You are weird, he said. And not as a compliment I often took that as. And in that moment, my heart swore out protection against ill-used toilet paper notes shoved beneath my bolted door by those bent to be cruel. Goodness. Your bearded, handsome face, your musical allusions, and even your relative youth could not excuse such assaults on my spirit, and the further isolation pushed into the holes in my armor plate in the name of bitter wit.
This one is called The Passenger. So, yes, the Iggy Pop song was the inspiration for the title. The first line is kind of stolen from the picture of Brian Ferry on the cover of Roxy Music's For Your Pleasure album. And there's even a bit of a Lego movie tossed in here, so I am nothing if not eclectic. The Passenger. Firmly fastened and felt like sideburns, and a cap affixed for jauntiness. Hands gripping the wheel like Lego claws. The mouth as smooth and dead as tarmac. And the teardrops, kindly cauterized. In back, every comfort considered. Windows tinted so as not to see out. Music blocking exterior sound. A champagne shunt that keeps him floating, like the cushions that hold him in place. Outside, nature may be thriving still. It enjoys so much to eat and use. And it took its revenge on us all, as it boils those who could not afford to surround themselves in heartless ice. The chauffeur and the passenger move with no more sense than the car itself, simply feeling there must be a place where they can stop and rest their souls. Onward they drive, soon to be downward. And now three cute little poems that I wrote that I woke up at three o'clock in the morning on June 8th with the muse whispering them to me and saying, you have to write these down now or you'll forget them. So I had to wake up, go out, turn on my computer. And of course, with what with having old man disease, I first had to use the washroom. So then that delayed it even longer. At least it wasn't the, the person from Porlock or Perlock or whatever it is knocking at my door. But, so this person is called, How Kind of You. Hi, Tim, are you awake? <laughs> oh, oh, it's you, Muse. What's up? Not much. Just have some words for you to write down soon. They'll break your heart. Good night. And the next one. Hypothesis. Could have been the three killing words. And yet, I still speak them aloud. So their sound slays me. I return. Karmic debt must be enormous. And finally, my last poem inspired by my childhood hero and the hero of many of us, Mr. or Ms. Bugs Bunny. It's called Red Candles, Rabbit, Target. We should have turned left at Albuquerque. And it's always Albuquerque. But now we lurch towards Pittsburgh, PA. And isn't it always Pittsburgh? We plunge into dense walls of smog once more. You grip the wheel, I cough sad reproach. That's all. Thank you. What's Tim Murphy? Let's give him another hand. And you just heard a reading by Tim Murphy. Uh, he was the first one up in the second session of the first day of the three-day Poets at Art Fest 
Poetry Festival. That day was June 29th. It ran through July 1st. So I hope you can tune in next week uh, because uh, it will be the next in several weeks of the 56 poet re- poetry readings uh, that you're going to hear from this year's uh, poetry, Poets at Art Fest 5 Poetry Festival. I would like to just a couple of minutes ahead of time, but we are uh, starting to run out of time, so I'll take the opportunity to do this now. I might have a minute or so for just quickly uh, talking about events, but uh, before I do that, I'd like to thank you for tuning in today, and uh, you have been listening again to Finding a Voice here on CFRC 101.9 FM. We are located in Lower Carruthers Hall, Queen's University, Kingston, Ontario. My name is Bruce here every Friday afternoon from 4 to 6 o'clock. We do stream live online at www.cfrc.ca. And uh, again, uh, the end of the hour announcement I usually try to get out is to remind you that each hour of this show today will be uploaded to my blog space for it shortly after I get home and save there for four years and uh, at finding a voice on cfrcfm.wordpress.com. I do also want to uh, say I hope you can tune in to uh, two hours of East Coast music coming up at the top of the hour at 6 o'clock. Rob Carnell with his Saltwater Music wonderful show follows this every Friday evening I will tell you that I've got like a half a minute maybe what I should do uh, Kingston Writers Fest tickets are now on sale so uh, just check out their website www.kingstonwritersfest.ca there is a talk and reading coming up tomorrow this is in uh uh, the Macaulay uh, Heritage Park in Picton, Erica Berish uh, Alka will be give, offering a presentation on Lady Franklin and her novel, Lady Franklin of Russell Square. This podcast is produced in collaboration with CFRC.ca in Kingston, Ontario. CFRC is located on traditional Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee territory. Infrastructure support for the CFRC podcast project is provided by the Queen's University Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science. For more information, or to get involved in podcasting, visit podcasts.cfrc.ca.